Foster parenting is gospel work in a deeper level, even than just talking about Jesus. It is playing a part in God's kingdom coming to earth as it is in heaven. It's about playing a part in shalom, in the way that God created the world to be, in bringing that healing. Welcome to All Things with Jen Oshman, where we look at current events and trends through a Christian lens. All things were created by Jesus and for Jesus, so we're seeking to apply His Word to what's happening here and now. Whether you're listening on your favorite podcast app or watching this episode on YouTube, would you take just a minute to go and give us a rating and a review? Ratings and reviews really do add up, and they help new listeners to find the show. Thank you so much. And lastly, don't forget to check out our show notes, which are always full of resources like articles or other podcasts and books. You'll find a link to my bookstore created in partnership with 10 of those where you'll see the books recommended on today's episode. My 10 of those store always has discount prices and $1 shipping. All things, everybody. So May is National Foster Care Awareness Month. And so I'm grateful to have Jamie Finn on the All Things podcast today. I want to have a candid and hopeful conversation with her about foster care in the U.S. So Jamie wrote a book last year entitled Foster the Family, Encouragement, Hope, and Practical Help for the Christian foster parent. And she's also the executive director of Foster the Family, and she regularly speaks about foster care at conferences, and she shares about her everyday life as a foster, adoptive, and biological mom on social media, which give her a follow right now. Just click over on your phone real quick and follow her because her Instagram is a wealth of information, joy, practical help, encouragement, humor, all of the above. Um, Jamie mothers four to six children at any given time, along with her husband, Alan in New Jersey. So welcome to all things, Jamie. I'm so glad you're here. Oh, thanks, Jen. I'm so happy to be on this. I've listened many times, so it's really a privilege to get to talk to you now. Oh, thank you. Okay. So start by, here's my first question for you, Jamie. Can you tell everybody what your morning was like today? Because you did that last week on your social media. You shared a little bit about what your morning was like and girl, my jaw dropped. (laughs) I mean, I know it's a lot. I know that you have a lot going on every morning, but when you listed it out like that, I was like, dang. Okay. So tell everybody what you've done this morning so far. (laughs) Yeah. So I have to start very early. Um, mainly so that I get some time with Jesus and by myself before I jump into the day, because I won't be by myself again until I get into bed. So, oh man, it looks like right now six kids and it looks like getting one on the bus at uh, 6.45 and then getting them dressed and meds for three kids and two diaper changes and reminding them to brush their teeth a hundred times and laying out uniforms and packing lunches. And it is um, a full three hours before I get everyone to where they are. And then even once everyone gets to where they are, I have a baby with me. And so even my day at work is still momming and uh, doing my work at the same time. Yes. Oh my goodness. That's a lot. So you start at like 4am, right? Four to seven is kind of your morning sprint. Yeah. It's like, yeah, 4.30 to 7.30. It's 
that's when it has to start in order for me to get some quiet time, which is really important for my soul and for my kids. My kids Mm -hmm. need me to be ready for them and kind of my needs are taken care of by the time they wake up so that I can focus on their needs. That totally makes sense. Do you go to bed so early? Because that's an early morning. Yeah, I am naturally not an early person at all. Uh (laughs) Naturally, I am a night owl. I would gladly stay up till one every night. Mm -hmm. And but I, as we've added more kids, and they all have needs and schedules, and I've had to protect my evenings in a different way. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man, all of that shifting. Yeah. Okay, well, let's get to the good stuff. Okay. Tell us why, how, what happened? Why did you start in foster care? Well, I read a book called Radical by David Platt. That'll do it. Yep. (laughs) That really just changed the paradigm of how we were building our life. So, you know, 11 years ago, we had one boy, one girl. It was both of us in good jobs and kind of just pursuing happy American dream life. And that book just started me on a path of what does it look like to actually live for the good of others and the glory of God in everyday life and not being content with sort of just like a happily ever after life. And we always kind of thought we might adopt. That was always there. But when we became aware of foster care, and of course I was always aware of it and the fact that it was in movies and such, but never once really considered it had anything to do with us. And once I finally met a foster parent and saw the need in my community, that the need wasn't just over there. You didn't just go to a need, but there were needs in our community, on our street. It took Mm. hold of my heart. And Mm. my husband, I think, was less driven by the need, less driven by passion, and more by a conviction from God's word that Mm -hmm. caring for the vulnerable, loving the orphan was a biblical mandate. And that being a disciple of Jesus meant caring for the widow and orphan specifically. And so that doesn't mean foster care for everyone. And for him, he even thought, I don't know if this means it for us, but because you are so burdened here, we'll try it. Uh, One kid, one time was the Mm -hmm. deal. So that was 10 years ago and 30 kids ago. 30. Okay. I did not know that, Jamie. 30 kids ago. Yeah. So I love that the beginning of this was just taking God at his word. You know, clearly the spirit lives in you and the spirit moved you and you were moved by the word of God and the spirit of God. What about the people of God? Obviously, David Platt had a big role, but did you see foster care happening in your community or were you kind of the first that you knew? We really didn't. We saw a lot of adoption. Um, international adoption from older families who had raised their children and then pursued adoption. That was the model we really saw. And I remember when we went to our pastor and told him that we were considering this, he said, I think kind of prophetically, this, I believe, will open the hearts of other people in our church to see that you can be in the trenches of parenting young kids 
and choose to step into other people's families and stories as well. And so we saw that and it wasn't anything about us. I mean, I don't think we made foster care look very appealing to others. <laughs> Our lives looked pretty chaotic. and But there was something about other people realizing that what we had realized, oh, this need is here in our community. And we saw, you know, dozens of families in our church eventually step into foster care. Can you describe to me the difference between bringing home that first baby and bringing home the baby that you're caring for right now? What has happened in the past? Mm. um, Did you say 10 years and 30 kids? Yeah. Tell us about that, how it's different now. For you? There is a lot different. And I would say it's it's in my heart. Things are so different in how I view the work that we're doing. So the first child who came into my home, it was very much so, I get to save this baby from a life of neglect and abuse and parents who didn't love them. And there was very much that mindset of I got to come in and rescue and they would finally have what they should have had. To the experience now of the baby we just welcomed a week ago, being heartbroken for the parents, having um, a well-rounded perspective of of their full story, that they were a whole person with their own trauma and brokenness, that they need Jesus, that they need rescue, that they are part of this mission. It's not just about me bringing their child into my home and and them over there as the the bad guy in the story. And why don't you just get your act together Mm -hmm. to, oh, you are part of this mission. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to relate to you with compassion and support. So I would say my entire perspective from this is just about getting a kid out of that and into my home to this is about our family jumping into another family story. It is a completely different perspective than I had 10 years ago. Yeah, I am really struck by that. And that is, you know, one of the main reasons I wanted to have you on all things is because I feel like sort of the narrative in our nation and even the narrative in our churches Mm. is the one that you were, you know, saying to yourself and feeling 10 years ago. Um, And the more that I've been in these spaces as an adoptive mom, as well as friends with those who foster, um, I have grown as you have to have a, my eyes sort of wide open sure. to the bigger story. And I'm so thankful for that opening and yet heartbroken at the same time to have my eyes opened. You know, that's, mm. it's no easy thing to see what you see. Um, but something you shared last week, I think, or the week before, as you can see, I really do pay attention to your Instagram. I think it's so helpful. <laughs> Um, just those nuggets of truth that you're constantly putting out there are really helpful. But you said something like, I prayed that the Lord would break my heart for what breaks his. Mm. And you said, I thought that would be the children. Mm-hmm. And it is. Mm-hmm. But then you went on to say his heart breaks for so, so many more people in the story mm-hmm. than the child. So for the listener who is still sort of at where you were 10 years ago, viewing foster care or the people who foster in their community as, you know, rescuers of the baby only. Can you coach that listener, um, help their eyes to be opened a little bit more? Yeah. And the the coaching comes from a real place of, of weakness. It comes from 
just the goodness of God rescuing me from ignorance and arrogance because I came in with with that perspective completely. I would say that as those who have been rescued, as the lost, the sinner, the blind, when we are very aware of how God saw us in our brokenness and rescued us, it should build such humility in our hearts for those who are still lost, for those who are still blind. We are not, we are not coming as, as the savior into this. We're coming as the saved and just following Jesus in his mission. So I think that there can and should be a deep humility of seeing that Jesus doesn't just love the little children, that it's not just, oh, the innocent and the precious. And it is that none of us are innocent, that all of us are precious. And it changes the sort of playing field of kids who have been wronged and the parents who have done the wrong to we are all sinners we are all vulnerable we all need jesus so mm. believing that jesus loves just as deeply the and this is it's hard to hear it's hard to say but yeah. that jesus loves just as deeply the child abuser mm-hmm. as the child abused that he loves the one who is doing the wrong just as he loves the one who was wronged. And he came because both of those, all Mm. of us, need forgiveness. So we separate in our minds the victim and the perpetrator, but Jesus comes with a, oh, you all are in desperate need of my grace, and I died for all of you to make a way for all of you to be rescued. So it it can and should change the way we view people, not in in tiers of behavior, but just in we are all desperate in need of Jesus. Oh man, that is a sermon and ministering to my heart. And you're right. It's it's hard. I know that feeling. It's hard to say. And it is hard to hear, Jamie, because it goes so counter to our flesh and our narratives and the stories that we all tell ourselves in our head all the time. You know, at least I'm not as bad as that person over there. (laughs) I might not be as good as her, but I'm not as bad as her, you know? Sure. Right. So I just appreciate you preaching the truth to us because that is indeed true. Okay. So we can all maybe imagine a bit what it's like, well, maybe not, but to bring a child home. What is it like then to love that child's parents? Can you, can you tell us practically speaking, what, what you, the things that are going on in your head, what's happening during your day and your week as you seek to treasure the biological parents of the children that come into your home? Yeah. I think one thing that allowed me to keep this, sort of arrogant and ignorant perspective of parents was the distance that I had created. So the child comes into my home, but you are over there. And as I leaned into relationship and got to know their stories more, it bred compassion. This wasn't just a bad person who did a bad thing. This was a full person with a full life that had experienced hard things that had their own sorrows and and needed Jesus and as i leaned into relationship it built compassion into my heart it also made me 
more aware of their needs and how some mm. of their needs are things that I can really relate to, but just by the grace of God, have these safety nets in place, yeah. have these yeah. support systems and these people who catch me and carry me. And it really helped me see how so many of their needs were very practical and and really easy for me to come alongside. So, you know, there's there's deep trauma and psychological and addiction and, and that, but there's also bus passes and groceries needed and a phone shut off. And so they can't get the services that were promised. And the mail was sent to an old address. And you realize how many things in our life are the safety nets of protection and privilege that when we drop the ball, we have people there to catch us and we have systems there to support us. And so many of the parents don't have that. So it has looked for me like filling in these gaps, the way other people fill in gaps for me and meeting some of those small practical needs, uh, connecting them to people who can. And then of course, just being kind, being loving, yeah. being in relationship, praying, realizing that they are probably leaving a lot of relationships that have been unhealthy mm. and helping to fill that gap relationally and, and just be a shoulder to cry on, a person to talk to. And so it has made foster care, honestly, more complicated because yeah. it's not just, oh, we had a, a kid come in our home. So now I have to care for that kid. It's communicating with a parent who has their own needs and looking for ways that I can serve them in their needs as well. Yeah, I'm sure it has made it much more complicated. Are you finding here again, Jamie, that you and your husband are a bit of a pioneer in your community? Um, have you have you been sort of the first to step out and try to cross that bridge, at least amongst the people that you know? Have you sort of had to forge this path without maybe an example in front of you? Sure. So I will say that in the spaces where I serve and speak, I I do feel that way. I felt like there was no one who was really speaking that to me when I became a foster parent of yeah. loving and serving first families. So I very much feel that in my work. In my life, I have rich examples of people mm -hmm. who deeply love and go above and beyond with um, parents and families. And they challenge me and they encourage me. Mm -hmm. I mean, my, my two brothers our foster adoptive parents. And I would say that people look at me sometimes as being radical in this and they outshine me in every way in, in the way that they have welcomed families into their lives, into their homes, um, the way they've really embraced uh, co-parenting with biological parents, reunion with their adopted children's families. So I have rich examples in my life. It was it was sort of like once we all caught vision for this, mm -hmm. we were going to really do it. And <laughs> we were going yes. to really lean into relationship with family and, and love them well. And it's been sweet to be able to live side by side with people who encourage and inspire me. 
I love that your brothers have the same vision and that you guys yeah. are engaged in similar ways of living. Um, do your parents just, are they kind of minds blown? Do they sit back and go, wow, <laughs> this is not really the grandparenting that we envisioned, but look at this, you know, I just imagine their faces. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They really love it. My mom often says that like her way of serving, the whole idea of everyone can do something that all disciples should be in this in one way. She's like, yep, it's my grandkids. It's my babysitting. It's my uh, new trauma-informed grandparenting perspectives. And and it's brought a lot of chaos and uh, suffering, to be frank, into our extended family. And we have brought our parents along on this mission with us of losing grandchildren and, and dealing with a lot of hard things. So I, it's been hard for them. And they are also just, I think, in awe of what God has done in our family. That's so good. I would love to actually shift the conversation a little bit to what you just said in terms of this choice that you and Alan made has then invited joy, but also suffering into the lives of those closest to you, your biological kids, um, your parents, you know, others who love you. Um, Look, can we talk about that? I know that this is like, I don't know, this is a hard conversation. It's hard to to speak to these things and we, we usually shy away from it. But would you be willing to share with us a little glimpse of like, what is the cost and why do you think it's worth it to, mm. to bring in the chaos, the suffering, also the joy? Yeah. There is a real cost. You said our biological children, certainly for them, they have lost siblings. You know, my young children two years ago said goodbye to their foster daughter who had, their foster sister who had been with them for two and a half years. So in their young lives, there's no understanding really of, oh, this this was meant to be temporary and reunification is, is happy and beautiful. They just lost their sister. Um, yeah. So there has been a lot of grief for them. We have had scary things happen of, you know, behaviors in our home of investigations and accusations. And Mm. there has been a lot that they have had to go through. And I think for me, it's holding a deep faith that anything that happens to our children is something that we believe God is going to use for our children, that what he allows, he allows to shape them, to teach them and, and make them more like him. We, we talk about how we're living this gospel work. Well, our kids get the front row seat to that. They Mm -hmm. understand why we're doing this. They understand um, the gospel call for, for healing and restoration and, I have to believe that as I see grief in my kids, as I see things even more challenging, like anxiety, um, that God is doing something good through this, that our obedience, it will be something that he uses to Mm. teach them about himself and to make Mm -hmm. them who he has them to be. Mm -hmm. So I've seen that. I've seen how our kids have a, a different view on the world and people's struggles and addiction and mental illness as young kids, Mm -hmm. they have a 
it's basic, but they have an understanding of of how people struggle and how those people need Jesus mm-hmm. and how the church can be the hands and feet of Jesus to them. And mm-hmm. so I celebrate that. And then I trust mm-hmm. God for the the parts that I I can't point to and see this will, will be good, but I believe it. I believe that he will use it for them. Mm. Amen. It's yeah. I think it's probably a constant prayer of Lord. I believe, but help my unbelief exactly. as you take one step at a time, one day at a time, That's right. answering God's call, but knowing that it hurts and it's hard. And yet Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. And mm-hmm. there really is no replacement for the discipleship school of suffering. Um, That's right. Yeah. When, and, when we said goodbye to our daughter and, and I was really struggling with, with the suffering that we were encountering all of us, mm-hmm. just the passage of suffering creates perseverance, character, hope, and hope does not let us down. And mm-hmm. so here I was, I want character and hope in myself and in my children. And yet there it is in scripture. What's going to bring that about suffering. So believing that, that the things that we're praying for in our hearts and our kids' hearts, that God will use hard things to bring that about. Jamie, this is so contrary to our culture and Mm. to our flesh. You know, we, we here in America, especially where we are wealthy and we have safety nets and we are in pursuit of safety and security and comfort for ourselves and for our kids. And at the same time, we attend church on Sunday and we're in our Bibles and we go to small group and, you know, we say, yes, we want to be like Christ. Right. But there's no way to become like Christ unless you lay yourself down. Mm. And so I just appreciate the example and and the truth that you are preaching to us. And I know that you're preaching it to yourself as well. And I know that that your faith falters, um, but the word and the spirit and God's people lift you up again and you're Mm. reminded of what's true and you go on. And I I guess that's why you wrote the book, right? (laughs) Is that why you wrote, I'm guessing, you know, you wanted to give that encouragement to other parents, why you wrote Foster the Family. Tell us a little bit more about the book and why you wrote it and what it's doing. Yeah. So... You're absolutely right. I really wanted to be a foster parent in the way that God's word would speak to, Mm. but was not hearing any preaching about it, was not hearing any direct teaching from God's word. So it was like a faith of coming to God's word and saying, okay, God, I know that you've given me all I need for life and godliness. I know that your word speaks to this. And so show me where it does. So the words foster care are not in the Bible, but so many truths about God and people and and brokenness and love, it's all there. And so I wanted to be able to share with others what God had done in my heart just by me going to God's word in desperation saying, I know that you speak to this. So speak to me, please. And Mm -hmm. he was faithful to teach me in his word things that really did apply to this very unique journey that I had never heard anyone teach about. And so it was taking the things that the spirit had been faithful to reveal in his word and, and hopefully sharing and serving other people with that. Yeah. I'm so glad that you answered God's call in multiple different ways. Um, I would love to ask you briefly, and I know that this could be a whole season of podcasts to answer this <laughs> sure. question, but for the sort of maybe outsider to foster care, adoptive care, some of the lingo that we've been using, 
what does it mean to be trauma informed in just mm. <laughs> what I, we throw around trauma a lot. We say that word. It's like in every sentence now in pop culture. Sure. Um, can you just can maybe just give us the quick, you know, overview of what that means when you say that? Sure. Being trauma-informed basically means understanding that the suffering that people experience, that our bodies weren't initially created to experience. We were not created to live in a broken world, but that the brokenness of this world has lasting effects on our brains and bodies biology and beliefs. Mm -hmm. So the things that we experience are not just once and done. They actually change the way our brains process other experiences. They change our brain chemistry. They change our our neurological reactions to things. So being trauma-informed basically means approaching people with that understanding Mm -hmm. that what you're seeing in the moment is also affected by things that have happened in the past. Mm -hmm. And not just in a, oh, I'm remembering that, but in a, my brain and body has been changed and shaped by that. So that's kind of your one sentence definition. And it goes from there to, I would say the next sort of level of being trauma informed is coming to people with saying, what do you need right now? Mm -hmm. What does your brain and body need? And seeing, um, especially for believers, I think seeing that not everything is a heart issue, not everything is a sin issue, but that there are a lot of brain and body needs that when we see people as whole people, we look to meet those needs along with, and maybe even before we get to the deeper, more important needs of our hearts and souls. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. And I I know that was torture for you to have to just make it so succinct, (laughs) Um, but I want people to have a little taste so that they can go to your website Go to your, you know, social media because you have so many resources. And so I want people to get a taste of it if you, you know, and, and to just go dive deeper into the links that we'll have in the show notes and otherwise. Well, we've come almost to the end of this episode, Jamie. So um, I wish we could keep talking, but can what do you want to leave listeners with? You know, what is the what is sort of the one thing that you hope those who are listening will sort of be chewing on for the rest of the day or the rest of the week? Sure. Foster care is a way that we can meet the needs of kids and families. That is the most basic um, explanation that anyone who's a believer or not a believer can get on board with. I think what we as believers can see that is just so sweet and beautiful is the way that foster care is gospel work, Mm -hmm. that my understanding of gospel work before was just that it's when we tell people about Jesus. And that's part of it. You know, there are kids in my home that I get to to share Jesus with, and I get to love their parents with the love of Christ and share Jesus with them. But foster parenting is gospel work in a deeper level, even than just talking about Jesus. It is playing a part in God's kingdom coming to earth as it is in heaven. Mm. It's about playing a part in shalom, in the way that God created the world to be in bringing that healing. So why did Jesus come? What was the gospel? It was to bring life to what was dead, to bring wholeness to what was broken, to bring newness to what was old. And so when we are are welcoming children into our home and playing a part in healing, 
we have opportunities to talk about Jesus and that is sweet and beautiful. And we get to play a part in God's healing work Mm. on earth and God's restoration of what sin broke. And so the the belief that foster care is gospel work is so rich and deep and theological that it can just set our hearts on fire for for why this is so important and why being a part of it is just so sweet. I love that. Thank you for ending us on that note. Thank you, Jamie, for joining us on all things. And for all of you listeners, please go to the show notes. I will be linking Jamie's book, her website, her socials. There's so much more that you can glean from her and from her ministry and from from the good work of foster care um, for those who are like-minded with Jamie. So thank you for tuning into all things and check out those show notes. Thanks so much for listening to All Things, where we look at current events and cultural trends through a Christian lens. All Things were created through Jesus and for Jesus, so we're seeking to apply his word to what's happening here and now.